as technology advanced, Oracle realized you need to have certain rules for accessibility. PDFs are generally not accessible documents. What that means is if you are vision impaired and you use a screen reader on your computer to read the documents or the UI of a page to you, the PDF is not really going to read very well. It's not going to understand the tables and might read the paragraphs and the titles out of order just because of the, the nature of how the document is converted to that. So Oracle said, okay, our solution to that is to come up with accessible HTML. Welcome to this episode of Implementing Best Practice in Business. We're here to help you and your organization understand and implement global best practice to help you face the business challenges of today. Join me, Richard Farrow, CEO of APMG International, in talking to leaders and practitioners who have applied these frameworks and practices to boost their productivity. They're here, willing to share their knowledge and experience to help you learn from them so you can do the same to make you more competitive in today's market. Welcome to this episode of Implementing Best Practice in Business. My guest today is Timothy Esposito. Timothy is the Manager of Logistics Documentation at Oracle Corporation, where he supervises an international team of technical writers. He's been a member of the Society of Technical Communication since 2005 and has held various roles, including at one time Chapter President in Philadelphia, and he currently sits on the Board of Directors as a Secretary. Timothy is a very strong advocate of personal organisation, both in home life and in work, and he promotes the need for thoughtful design interfaces and process simplification based on detailed analysis. He does find time to be away from work, where he advocates the adoption of retired greyhounds. Welcome, Timothy. Hello. Thanks for having me. So tell me, why greyhounds? Oh, uh, they're a wonderful breed. They've got a history that goes back thousands of years. Only the nobility had them. Um, it was not allowed in medieval Europe to own a greyhound unless you were of the nobility. And today they're used in racetracks. And um, up until several years ago, it was very common to just destroy the animals when they were done racing. So they would race until they were maybe two, three if they were lucky. Um, or then they would be used for breeding, heavy breeding. Or they would just be destroyed. And... Uh, Placement groups have worked really hard to turn that around, so most of the dogs get adopted at this point. And a lot of the tracks in the United States have closed down. But they're a wonderful, gentle breed. Everyone thinks they're high-strung and need a lot of space, but they're couch potatoes. They're very gentle and loving. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, so moving on to technical communication, um, yeah, how's the role changed? How's the role of a technical communicator changed as we move from what was an analog world maybe 20 years ago to something that is truly a digital world and becoming more digital? Oh, it's changed, I'd say, in several ways. Uh, the first one is the, the output, how people consume the media that people write. So I knew someone who for years worked at a printer manufacturer, and his job was to make the installation guides for the printer. So you buy a printer for your home computer, and you get a book that's this thick, and you read through all the pages and learn how to plug it in, and it still doesn't work and all that stuff. And that's all he did was printed documentation for printers. And hardware like that often needs some sort of a supplement to tell you how to connect the cables and that sort of thing. But that's all they had was a big guidebook. You, the printer gives an error. You have to leaf through the guidebook to find the error. And that's that was his career. Uh, now you have people doing things on phones. 
No one wants to read a 70-page guide on your printer. They want a how-to video. They want the highlights. They want to just be able to scroll through it. So no longer are we formatting things to be printed on a certain size paper, which needs to be done months ahead of time before the product is actually ready to ship because you need to have it printed and bound and ready to be put into a box. Now everything's online. So if you need to make changes, you make those changes at the last minute and just update it online. So the delivery mechanism is different. The way people consume it is different. Um, like you said, it went from analog to digital. What's more analog than a book? And what's more digital than reading something on your smart device? Interesting, but you know, working for, for Oracle, I've got no idea how many documents you have, how many guides, how much how much written advice you must have within the organization. So how do you manage consistency? You Do you have a very rigid governance structure? Do you have a more laissez-faire approach? You know, what is it that, how do you make sure that the, that the advice, as you say, is current, is accurate, and keeps up to date with in such a fast-moving world with so many devices and guides needed? So Oracle is a fantastically huge company. I mean, they have hundreds of thousands of employees all over the world. And that's not just because Oracle Database grew that big. It's because Oracle grew and bought this and bought that and bought that. And they pulled it all together and everyone came from a different place. My group was an acquisition about 16 years ago as well. So they had certain standards in place. And when we joined Oracle, they said, okay, you need to create output that looks like this. So I went and found someone else in the Oracle land and they said, okay, this is how we use it. We use FrameMaker, but you shouldn't use FrameMaker because we don't like FrameMaker. Find something else. Uh, but ultimately, you need to come up with this. So for years, we just had for our install guides, we, we deliver two main types of things. One is the online help that's bundled with the application. So if you click the little question mark in the corner, it pops up and tells you about the screen you're on. The other one are the installation guides, which people that are setting up the software typically reference. Those were delivered as PDFs. So we already had them in Word. We just needed to add an Oracle title page and a copyright and then save as a PDF and upload it to a server and we were good to go. But as technology advanced, Oracle realized you need to have certain rules for accessibility. PDFs are generally not accessible documents. What that means is if you are vision impaired and you use a screen reader on your computer to read the documents or the UI of a page to you, the PDF is not really going to read very well. It's not going to understand the tables. It might read the paragraphs and the titles out of order just because of the, the nature of how the document is converted to that. So Oracle said, okay, our solution to that is to come up with accessible HTML. So HTML is better than PDFs because when you put it on a website, Google will index it. So you can find the content just using a Google search, not a special search local to the website. It can be more easily read by a screen reader. And you don't need to worry about the layout and the styles as much because it'll stretch and fit according to how you're using that browser to read that content. So we've moved from, oh, here's a Word document with a template that I made 15, 16 years ago to we're using XML. And then Oracle developed a process where we upload that XML to a server. They transform it into the output that they want it to look like. And I don't have to worry about that outbook. I, I just have to say, okay, make this bold. This is a title. This is a heading. And they say, oh, well, a heading is 16-point font with a style. and whatnot. I don't have to worry about that. If they change it to make it a 17-point font, who cares? They do that. I don't. I just have to put the files on the server. They process it, and it's good. 
if everyone in the company, which they're moving towards, goes through a process like this, the output looks the same. Whereas before, if you went into one branch of the company, they did stuff in FrameMaker, the script did it in Arbitex, the script did it in Word, everything looked similar, but kind of different. Maybe they had wide margins and skinny columns. Now everything looks the same. We also still deliver a PDF if people want to download something to read later. But it's been a, it's been a struggle. And it's tricky because you're trying to pull in hundreds of different companies into one format. So maybe a year ago, Oracle came up with a thing called Redwood. And Redwood is the new branding mechanism that they're using. So everything on their website is Redwood format. And it has specific guides for fonts and colors and styles and things like that. And all the PowerPoints we use are based on a Redwood template. And the documents are based on Redwood template. And the good thing is I don't have to worry about the template because it's all automated when I upload those documents. Um, and it looks, it looks very nice. And they are maintaining that and growing it as it goes forward. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful unification process that they're going through. It's a fascinating story. I remember talking to a colleague who was asked to develop a quality management system for a large organization in the Netherlands. Okay. And he went around every department and he asked, do you have a quality management system? And he filled a boardroom with documentation from different parts of the business that they were all using. And there was no unified approach. And as you say, your organizations sort of, as they evolved and they acquired different parts or different, um, different companies, they ended up with that uh, mismatch of things. But to try to get it into a single approach takes ages, doesn't it? It really does take an awful lot of work. But I assume you do quite a lot of research. So I know you said it, it's automated through Oracle particular fonts and that is there a particular font where someone reads and adds some information in one font they're likely to you know, need less physical support for it than if they read it in another font how important are fonts in the current um, sort of digital age well there was a study that goes back maybe 20 years that said that people read things with serif fonts and serif fonts are the ones that have like little bumps on the ends of the letters as opposed mm -hmm. to a sans serif, which are the more straight lines, like, like an aerial font. So when you're reading a book, serif fonts are easier for people to comprehend. But when you're online, sans serif fonts are easier to comprehend. Now, I'm not sure how well that study has held up, but I know that that was a guideline that I've been using for the past 20 years based on something I read at the beginning mm -hmm. of my career. And I'm not really sure how Oracle has stylized that because they came up with their own font. They came up with an Oracle font. <laughs> To, to go with this Redwood theme that they came up with. So the default font is an Oracle font. And I think they use Georgia also. So I think they have maybe serifs for the headings and sans serifs for the body. <laughs> but it, it, you know, there's people out there that this is what they do. They understand styles. They understand how things look and read better. And for the most part, I don't have to worry about it because I just use title font versus or title style in XML or body style in XML. And if, they want it to be Georgia or they want it to be, you know, Caligari or whatever it is. That's how they, that's how the output comes out. So, so what about artificial intelligence? You know, how is artificial intelligence going to affect either what you do or indeed how it's uh, produced and sort of served up to the consumer? Hmm. Well, right now my group is using artificial intelligence to make a chat bot 
which is what everyone sees when you go to a, a utility website and a little window pops up in the corner and says, hi, I am some random name. How can I help you? And it's not really a person. It's a computer that's trying to look for keywords like, oh, I can't sign into my account or I need to pay my bill. We have a, a chatbot that we've embedded in our software, and it's not necessarily there to help you understand how to use the software, but to do queries such as, and I'm going to turn it off, if I said, oh, Alexa, when is my order coming? Alexa pops up and tells me Euro shipment is due tomorrow. It's that kind of thing. The software that I make and work on is logistics software, so it's shipping. It's, it's routing things across oceans, across trains and trucks, delivering things to your house through uh, local carriers. You want to know when your package is coming or if you're the, the shipment person, you ask where this truck is or what, where is the shipment number? When is it due? And the chatbot will answer that for you. But it, if you want to say, well, how do I create a shipment and send it to here? It's not going to know how to do that because that is another level of conceptual processing that the AI doesn't have. And at this point, AIs do not have that. And even if they did, we would have to supply them with the logic behind that. Like, how do you create an order and turn it into a shipment? Well, there's many different ways in my system to do that based on the shipping model that you're using. So it's not just like, oh, just push the ship button. There's there's different ways to do that. And the UI would have to know precisely what is your business process and how does it work and what is the optimal way to run this for you. But it's just not there yet. Now, we can write that sort of thing in the documentation, give different guidelines and a flow chart. And maybe the AI could read that, but I would still need to provide the content for the AI to know that logic to then tell it to you. So hmm. we're, I think at this point, still pretty far off from having an AI that is interactive and effective at um, sharing information like that and analyzing what you really are asking and giving you a, a relatively good answer. Timothy, you talk about tracking your shipment. Clearly, I mean, I can remember when bar barcodes were invented, and I'm sure there are now some electronic tagging devices. But how can you track the shipment so accurately? I mean, how at what point are the are the tags read? So someone says, you know, your shipment's going to be with you within an hour. Are these sort of in and out of warehouses? Do you have any insight? Do you have any knowledge about at what point the tag is read so you can have that accurate information? It has to do with um, using GPSs and tracking software and hardware in the vehicle that's delivering it. So a truck will have a device in it that is tracked by a GPS system, which is sent back to uh, the computer network. So as the driver goes from stop to stop, it sends updates back to the computer network saying, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here. It took us so long to get there and it's so many miles to the next stop. So it can estimate where you're going to be. Uh, just yesterday, I had a package delivered, and, it, and I got a notification on my phone. And I said, oh, your delivery is 10 stops away. And I could click on that or tap on that, and it would pop up a map, and it would show a little dot as to where that driver's truck was and as he was coming down the street to my house. So I could be on my porch ready to receive the product <laughs> if I really wanted to. It's, pretty, it's, it's, it's amazing, amazing. How, that, that, how you can do that. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And because it goes across the world, you know, it's not just within a country or within a state. It's, you know, you can track it globally. Um, coming back to the society, sure. um, yeah, professional bodies have always played a very important role in disseminating knowledge. Yeah. But as information becomes more freely available um, you know, online and in other sources, 
How will STC maintain and enhance the value proposition to the members? You know, why would somebody want to be a member when you can get all the information or a lot of the information freely available online? Well, the society provides many benefits to its members, such as a sense of community. So when you join an organization like STC, you're joining an, a community that will be there to help you with your questions. So if you want to know specifically about something, perhaps a best practice, you can ask. The society provides education. There are local chapters. There are um, there we have things called special interest groups, which are not location-based that anyone can join. So maybe you are a, a lone writer, for example, and you don't have anyone else at your company to ask questions to. You can join that special interest group and then we have a Slack channel for that. And they say, hey, I'm coming across this situation. How do you guys recommend I handle this sort of thing? So society provides a network for that. It also offers training classes. It offers certification with your group. So education is a key component there. Because when you say everything's on the Internet and you can find it, that's true. But what you may find may not be the best fit or the correct fit for what you're doing. And I'm going through this at work now because... Uh, our development staff has moved to a source control program called Git. And they were using something else before, and there are, of course, growing pains moving to source control. And the source control is where the programmers and, and my team, the doc team, we also we store all of our code and our documents in this software. And it's very different from anything we had before. And the problem, well, not the problem, but one of the, the situations we've run into is, oh, how do I do certain tasks in Git? And they ask the Internet. Well, Git is very versatile, and you can do it this way, you can do it that way, you can do it this way, you can do it that way. You can do it, you know. So they try this, and that doesn't work because the model that's set up doesn't fit that. So they try another one. So we're right now in the process of curating such content to make best practice recommendations for our business unit and how we're using it. The society works kind of like that because, okay, well, maybe this study over here says this about how you should do something, or maybe you should do that. Well, we have experts in the field from all over and they say okay we've worked on this for decades and we think if you're going to start a new thing use these options go down this path these other things do exist and they work in this specific situation but in general you should go and do it this way that's our recommendation and that's the sort of expertise that you can get rather than just doing an open google search to find content so it's about that um, that trust element, isn't it? You know, the, the advice and guidance that you're getting is, is trusted because they are a member of the society, they're a member of the of the community, and there's a commitment between society members to help other society members. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you about the search. I mean, you know, I'm of a generation where you know, research was more than the first book you came across, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and and you tended to read around the subject and look quite deeply at it. Whereas, you know, talking to some people today, research is the second item on a Google search. Mm -hmm. and they, they, they find it was right there because we found it on some <laughs> guy's website. Uh -huh. yeah. So I understand that you've got over, what, 3,000 documents that you and your team look after. Is that is not, that correct? Not my that team, wrong? no. No, well, the the help, the online help project that we curate and publish has 3,000 topics in it. So they're not separate documents, and some of them may only be a paragraph, but some of them may be a couple of pages. Each of those is tied to a different page in the user interface for the application we support. And, well, not every single one, but the majority of them are, oh, you're on this page for a shipment detail. What does this do? You click the help, it pops up, it tells you about the page, it tells you about every single field on the page and how you would complete 
that page under certain circumstances. So we have about up to 20 documents in the, the PDF type of sense of documents, the install guides, um, about a dozen of which we use in the cloud. The other ones we use for our on-premise software, which we're not really doing as much with at this point because cloud is the future, so Oracle is pushing everything to cloud. Um, so we have about a dozen of those and then the 3,000 topics. And that doesn't mean that we review every single topic for every single release. We just update the ones that changed uh, for the features. Yeah, I I think, um, didn't you say something like at times it's like changing the tire while the vehicle's still moving? Was yeah, that, that was, that was, was that a line, phrase from you? Yeah, that was a line that um, someone in my old job said. He's like, like, writing documentation for software is like changing the tire on a moving vehicle. Um, because, okay, here's the design. We're going to make the software look and do this. Okay, I write that up. Oh, yeah, well, we've decided that we're going to move this section over here and take that out and put this over here, and this is no longer going to be there. Okay, I need to change all this stuff. Well, now we're going over here with this. So if you're early in the development cycle, there may be a lot of edits to how the software is coming along, and then trying to keep up with that can be a challenge. But it also depends on the, the development process you're using. My team uses Agile which does things in small increments. So it's a lot easier to say, okay, for this one, we only added these buttons onto this page or these fields, as opposed to in days past where we'd have a 120 page document outlining what we'd be doing for the next six months. By the time you get to the end of those six months, the truth of that document is stretched thin because they discovered halfway through, we couldn't do it that way, but they didn't update the document. Whereas with Agile, you do it on a biweekly basis or bi-monthly, I always forget which one it is, every every two weeks or every month, or whatever, yeah. whatever the cycle is. So that way we can so. adapt. Okay, we were going to go down this path, but now we're going this way. Well, the good news is I only did that path, and that's what's done. So if we're going a different way, I don't have to worry about what's done in that little segment. Excellent. You must have lots of patience. <laughs> I worked <laughs> with a really great team. Timothy, you know, with your career in... Um in technical writing with the work that you've been doing over the last several years, both within Oracle and your activities within the society. Now, what are the three things that you know now that you really wish you had known at the start of your career? Um, I'd say the first one is to trust in yourself and your abilities. Don't undersell yourself. Um, assert what you believe is correct and uh, be very confident when you're confident in something and you express that to people that you're working with, it makes you seem stronger. Now you might not know everything, but if you say I'm doing this and this is how I'm doing it, I'm doing it right, they're going to believe you rather than going, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really qualified for that, you should ask someone else, you're not gonna gain anyone's respect that way. So when you go into something, do your research, be confident in what you're doing, and you will succeed. Um, let's see, the next one is, it ties into that is, um, don't admit, uh, do not be afraid to admit if you don't know something. So if someone comes to you with a question, don't bluff it or talk around and say, you know, that's a good question. I'll have to research that and get back to you. Let me look into it. And then do your research and go maybe more than one or two Google hits and come back with a good, <laughs> good answer. Um, build yourself up as an expert in something. And that leads into my third point, which is if you have an expertise in something, go out of the, your way to help people to show them that you have that expertise and share that knowledge with them. You'll gain their respect, you'll share that knowledge so they'll be richer as well, and then they'll also recognize you for the skills that you have as if it's just another person. Oh, go to this person, they know all about this. 
And um, then they'll be more open to sharing their level of expertise with you when you need the assistance. That happened at my old company. They were using uh, a new source control system at that company because source control is something that keeps coming up in software. And the one person that understood it took the time to share it with me. And then I became the person that was the go-to for everyone else in the company. So that person was very clever because he didn't want to deal with anyone else and he knew that I would. So he taught me how to use it. And then I taught the rest of the development staff on how to use that. But then I had that knowledge that, you know, carried forward into new, new jobs and new roles. Thank you. Fascinating. It's interesting, isn't it, on how sort of looking back, most of the um, things that we wish we know about sort of character and doing the right thing. And as you say, standing up and saying, I don't understand this rather than any great big technical knowledge that, that we may have wished we had at that time. Yeah, it is all about the, the quality of the individual because I think people do business with people, even with the advance of AI and that. And I think that's going to always be quite strong, particularly when you're talking about communication. So fascinating. Thank you very much. Sure. Timothy, it was great talking to you. you know, many thanks for sharing your experience and giving us an insight into the uh, the society. You know, I wish the society and yourself luck in all continuing to grow and expand and all the activities that you're involved in. Thank you. And uh, you know, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for listening. We're always keen to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can find all the information in the show notes below. Please visit apmg-international.com to find out more about our accredited training and the certifications that support them that are related to the topics discussed in this series. I hope you've enjoyed today and I look forward to you joining future episodes while we continue our exploration into best practice and the benefits it brings to global business. Thank you.